All right, so hello everyone. I hope you're all having a good day. And I think Chandler and I are super excited for this episode of the Split Take podcast. Uh, Because today we have a very special guest with us. It is uh, Daisuke Beppu of the Daisuke Beppu YouTube channel. Uh, say hello, Daisuke. Oh, hello and greetings to uh, to everyone. <laughs> greetings from Tokyo. It's very nice to be here. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for inviting me. It's a real honor. Thank you. Well, it's a real honor for, for the both of us. I think Chandler and I have been very nervous about this. Oh, I have. Very about meeting so. you yeah. and about this 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 conversation about a, a brighter summer day, which I think is a monumental task in and of itself. Oh, no need to be nervous, gentlemen. It is I who am nervous. So, so let let also I just <laughs> let uh, us- I just want to point out that this uh, by no means was this planned at any point. I had no idea that you were such a big fan of this movie. I've seen your videos on this only recently. This just happened to be. I thought, oh, let's see if I can get him on the podcast. And it just so happened to line up that it was the same time as uh, Brighter Summer Day. Because we just covered Yee Yee a few weeks ago. Oh. And I didn't think they'd put both Yang movies so close together. But this is, this is a beautiful coincidence. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Thank you so much. What a great coincidence. Yes. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So um, for those unfamiliar, because I think uh, Daisuke's channel is is small in comparison to the, the bigger landscape of YouTube, um, and I think it deserves a little bit more attention, um, although I, know, I don't think he'll find it here because we're pretty small podcast in, the, in ourselves. But um, Daisuke, I, I would say, is a very a prolific YouTube reviewer. Uh, he does everything from three hour long live stream <laughs> reviews on Saturdays. Yes. He has uh, reviewed the entire filmography of directors, talks about the Criterion Collection a lot, and I think uh, sheds a lot of light on uh, some uh, lesser... Uh, movies that don't really get a lot of attention on YouTube. Even need within more the attention. Criterion Collection itself. He's got a very expansive yes. collection, yes. Yes. And I think, for me at least, uh, Daisuke, you've said on your channel multiple times that you don't necessarily consider yourself a, a film critic or a, an expert, although I, I would, from my position, I would consider you... I definitely... Maybe not, yeah. maybe not an expert, but a, definitely a film critic. And... Not necessarily because you're critical of film, but because you are someone who you review movies on YouTube. And there there are other YouTube reviewers who are on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think you're more qualified than many of them. (laughs) So uh, I just uh, you are a joy to watch your videos. Um, You you come off as, as very knowledgeable. I think the the way you talk, the very stat, the camera, the static camera angle adds into that it's where your audience is left with just you and your voice and this is just my little praise of of your channel it's a great channel yeah. <laughs> thank you that's very very kind of i'm i'm uh, very humbled and uh yeah i i, I do want to just emphasize that it's it is uh uh it, it's it i have no intent of making it like a film critical review channel or anything like that but i'm actually very um uh I'm very appreciative of those words, and I'm also very, I'm I'm very happy that uh, uh, you described it as being just talking about the films because I really that's what I really am trying to emphasize, and so uh, you know I I believe in collecting I I enjoy the collecting aspect of physical media and and all that but I I also 
really think that it's 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 also about the films themselves, and so I'm uh, I'm I'm very uh, humbled and very honored that you describe the channel in those uh, very glowing terms. So thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, we have a, a few questions for Daisuke, and then we're going to uh, jump into a, I think a, a little a short spoiler-free discussion review of A Brighter Summer Day, and then a, a longer kind of more in-depth uh, discussion. As yeah. short as you can with a movie like this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We only have a limited time as with everything. Yeah. But you know, I've been watching a lot of your your Q and A videos, which have been appearing on the channel a lot quite recently, and so I, I tried to to steer clear of anything that has been specifically discussed on there. So I apologize if we, any treading water here. But um, here's a question you may not be able to answer: But how many movies do you think you have seen? Because <laughs> you strike me as as the person I know uh, of who has seen the most amount of things. Oh my goodness! That yeah, I don't. That's a very good question, and I've never thought about it, and I've never logged all of the films I've seen since I was a kid, and so I, I can't, I can't even begin to to even take a guess. But um, I have seen films since I was uh, a kid, since far back as I can remember, I think, and so um, uh, I count those as well, and. So I've seen, I guess I can say that I've seen the films, say, in the Criterion Collection. And I've seen a number of, uh, let's see, a number of other labels, although not all of them. But even so, I acknowledge that that is even just a, a one-tenth of one percent of whatever, all of the, the films that are in existence in the entire span oh, yeah. of the, the history of cinema. So, so I... So I've I've been fortunate to see a number of films, but I I do acknowledge at the same time that it's still uh, a very low number. Let me put it that way, relatively speaking. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just want to give you a a little platform here to perhaps explain to our audience because I I did a little introduction, but maybe your own little introduction as to to who you are, your kind of critical perspective. Um, but to kind of frame that, I just wanted to say that you've um. From my understanding, you you have lived abroad in the UK and the US mm -hmm. and in Japan. You're currently in Japan. And perhaps uh, just a, a little review on maybe how that kind of international experience has shaped your cinematic perspective uh, and your journey through cinema. Oh, wow. That's a very good question. So to be as brief as possible. So I am Japanese by birth. And when I was, I was born in Japan, therefore, and when I was about two years old or so, my, uh, my mother and father and I, I being an only child, uh, we went to New York, the United States, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, uh, we, we were in the U.S. for a number of years. And then around uh, maybe around that similar time when I was maybe six or seven or so, we then moved to the United Kingdom. So in just South of London for a few years. And then, uh, it, when I was uh, about to get into high school, it was decided that probably it would be best for me to go to a U.S. university. And so, uh, we made efforts to, to prepare me for, uh, going into a U.S. university, which I did. 
And after I graduated from uh, university, I was, I came, I guess I came back to Japan, so to speak. I've always been uh, uh, back and forth to Japan, to and from Japan, but uh, since I was a kid, but uh, uh, after uh, my university studies, I came back to Japan. I went back to New York again, but then I returned now to Japan, which is where I am now. And all along the way, I suppose, I've been uh, watching films more or less from a the, the vantage point of growing up as a child of the 80s uh, in the U.S. and in the U.K., but always also at the same time having uh, connections with getting Japanese VHS tapes uh, through my parents or through our relatives who lived in Japan or going to Japan when I was a kid and over on summer holidays and and watching movies with my extended family going to the theaters and all and and things of that nature so uh it it was uh, I was very fortunate in that respect growing up but then when I was in college a, a university student uh my studies my major wasn't in cinema studies or anything like that although I did take some cinema studies or film studies courses but the the real joy for me was being able for the first time in my life to be exposed to a really in-depth uh library of s- films that one couldn't find even in the most well-stocked uh VHS rental store. I mean, this university's library of cinema was really excellent. It had laser discs, it had all the VHS tapes that you could uh, find, you know, it had uh, uh recordings from other countries with special uh, uh subtitling things or things you couldn't find it had also a 60 millimeter prints as well some very very rare prints at the time that i was uh, i was very fortunate to at least uh, just observe and so uh these are sort of examples of of at the time when i was what 18 19 20 or so when i was able at last to watch all these films that i'd only heard about or read about or not even heard about or read about and so i think a lot of the films that i was able to uh, to experience and still remember now i think uh, come in particular from that period of my life. And so I, I was very fortunate to be able to watch a lot of movies uh, during during uh, uh, those years, those, I guess, formative years uh, up through when I was maybe, say, in my early 20s. And then, uh, and then I just kept just going through films. Uh, I don't watch as many films now as I used to when I was younger, but I still try to keep up. And I don't watch as many recent films as I do uh, as I would like to, so I don't know all the recent movie releases. Um, I haven't seen all of the uh, the films from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example. I'm trying to catch up with that, but uh, um, uh, and uh, but uh, just uh, most of the recall that I have of, of films comes, I think, from this earlier period, uh, and then just rewatching them now in the, uh, for instance, in the Criterion Collection or other labels or things of that nature, as well as making new discoveries along the way, as always, of course. Uh, there, are many, uh, there are many more films that I have not seen than I have seen. So uh, every, hmm. every day is a potential new, new discovery, a new, <laughs> new potential <laughs> journey, I suppose. But uh, um, yeah, so that's my general background in terms of my own personal film watching up to now. Yes. So thank you for asking. So. <laughs> I got a quick, easy question. For okay, you. good. Yeah. How about you go? Yeah, I got one. Uh, what do you think is the... I don't want to say rarest, but yeah, I'll say rarest. The rarest, weirdest thing you have in your collection. Because I've been enjoying your posts recently where you post eight different 
versions or or uh different um oh, different mediums of the same movie i enjoyed your third man one especially as a big fan of that movie thank you um i guess i could uh so uh, in the criterion collection i think the rarest item that i have is a a laser disc of the film the prince of tides and it's a laser disc it's it's a laser disc released by the well it well, I should be very specific it was a laser disc that was being prepared by the criterion collection and it was manufactured and as, as far as i understand it it was all set to go and get released but then at the last minute for whatever reason and i can speculate as to why the the laser disc was never released in the open market there were pressings of it and so it it was legendary as to the pressings of this film uh, that were that were known to exist, but they were very few in number. No one knew exactly where to to find them. And I was able to to find one, and um, it is it's very interesting to to look at that. It's it's nothing so um, drastic from the the final released laserdisc version of the Prince of Tides or the the mm -hmm. now released version of uh, of it on Blu-ray, but it's it's still a very interesting. Interesting thing uh, in terms of Barbara Streisand's, uh, how should I put it? She, she, uh, she has a lot of. Uh, there's, there's a lot focusing on her and her filmmaking in the whole supplements of that film and the release by the Criterion Collection. And in the the unreleased version, there's a little bit more. There are a little more statements that she made that weren't necessarily in, uh, inserted into the final part. Nothing controversial or anything like mm -hmm. that, but just in terms of how she wants to present the information as well as the information itself. And I, I can com completely understand that because you know she is also a very, uh, a very sp uh, uh, specific-minded artist, and so uh, it's interesting to see the the artistic process with her uh, and her f and with respect to this film. But that's that's I think the rarest item in the Criterion Collection. And then as, as far as outside the Criterion Collection, it's, it's not the rarest in the world, but it's quite rare. It's the, the DVD, Japanese DVDs of, uh, speaking of Edward Yang, uh, two Edward Yang films. One is called A Confucian Confusion, and the other is called Mahjong. So those two films are in, uh, very difficult to find now anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard there are rumors that maybe they might get released or they're being restored or something like that. I don't know. If, I, I'm not sure if those are true. And if so, when they will happen, I'm not sure. But uh, as of now, those films are, are pretty difficult, especially Mahjong. It's very difficult, almost impossible to find a, a copy of that. Uh, you can find maybe, uh, I don't know, DVR. I'm not sure what those are. Those old DVD types, maybe if you do a special order through someplace. I'm not sure exactly. I was able to There's get that. There's a link actually online to Mahjong and uh, a confusion confusion um, to very like rips yeah. of VHSs yeah. that were transferred oh. to VHSs yeah. and then back to, to a rip. So because uh, I recently I, I watched uh, Terrorizers recently, yeah. uh, the Terrorizers, I was trying to go through uh, Yang's filmography and I kind of hit this brick wall and I actually... I also had a, a question related to where do you find these these Edward Yang Blu-rays? But uh, <laughs> oh. nowhere, I think, is the answer for the time being. But continue. Oh yes, so th that's very important information about the availability of those two films in particular. So, a Confucian Confusion and Mahjong. Those two films came. They, they, those two films fall in between a brighter summer day and E.E. E., as far as the filmography chronology of Edward Yang's works. So they form a kind of a, an important 
aspect of his career. Uh, and they, they're kind of also, in a sense, a continuation, especially Mahjong. Mahjong could be seen in, in many thematic ways to be a really strong continuation of the themes explored in A Brighter Summer Day. And so they're very important, very well put together, excellent works from Edward Yang. And as you say, very difficult to find in pretty good quality. Um, so I was able to get a Japanese uh, DVD of, of each of those. They were official Japanese DVD releases, but they are now out of print, and they're very, very expensive, very difficult to find here in Japan. I was able to find a, a couple copies, and I was able to watch them. Unfortunately, they don't have English subtitles, only Japanese subtitles. The picture quality is, is good. It's not excellent. It's, it's good, very, very good. Um, I know it could be improved with the dist- uh, digital restoration techniques we know nowadays, but uh, that's the those are the two titles that I really wish could find a, a, pro- a kind of a, an official proper release on Blu-ray uh, from whatever label, um, and that would be a, a dream come true for me. If that happened, I would be just over the moon. Uh, but as you say, they as as of now. They are very, very difficult to to watch, but uh, hopefully more people will be able to watch those films. Uh, they're they're worth watching, even in let's say less than stellar quality picture wise. They're still worth mm-hmm. watching because they're very, very important. So I suppose, besides maybe Western Hollywood cinema and maybe even Japanese cinema, is there a particular country or region or maybe even specific era of filmmaking that you find yourself particularly drawn to? I think there are a number. Uh, if just to give an example, maybe I'm a big fan of Italian horror and suspense films known as Giallo. And oh. I'm, I'm a, a big admirer of those. Um, I'm, I'm, I like the, the horror and sci-fi genre in general. And uh, I've in particular, I, I'm a big fan of giallo and Italian horror and suspense and police, uh, police suspense action films and those sorts of things. So that, that's an example of uh, another genre that I'm really into. I have one last question, but Chandler, do you have anything else? Oh, 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 Dream Criterion release. Oh, Dream Criterion release. It'd probably be maybe the either the two films I mentioned by Yang, uh, Confusion, mm-hmm. Confusion, or Brighter, um, or uh, Mahjong, or it could be something from the Laserdisc era that could re- emerge. Uh, the Laserdisc uh, from Criterion were really interesting. So uh, p- people, I think, have mentioned Citizen Kane a lot, and I'm I'm uh, on board with that oh, as yeah. well. Citizen Kane or King Kong. But the, there's Blade Runner's other... got one too. Blade, you're right. Yeah, yeah Blader has two actually. There are two Laserdiscs from Criterion on different spy numbers. Um, and uh, uh, the one that I think I'd love to see also is maybe Pink Flamingos, uh, John oh, Waters. Yeah. Flamingos. Oh, yeah. They do, they've been doing a good amount of John Waters stuff recently. I'm surprised Pink Flamingos hasn't gotten in. Let's hope that it does, because if uh, with all the films that already are in the Criterion Collection now by John Waters, the one that is conspicuously absent is, of course, Pink Flamingos. So uh, it would be very interesting have that in the collection, especially uh, for people who maybe haven't yet seen it. So uh, let me just put those, it there. Yeah, those yeah. lucky people. Yes. Uh. <laughs> for me, I guess on the on the same uh, conversation as uh, Dream Criterion releases, I'd have to say that uh, I think 
South Korean cinema in particular yeah. has been yeah. very under uh, appreciated by the in the Criterion Collection. And I know I've mentioned this in my in my one email to you, Daisuke. I mentioned that I'm a very big fan of of Lee Chang Dong mm. and in particular Burning. And I would absolutely love love a, a Criterion release of of that film or or poetry mm. or um, uh, peppermint candy. There's so yeah. many South yeah. Korean peppermint yeah. candy. Uh, I haven't gotten around to seeing Oasis mm. yet, but there there's other South Korean directors. Uh, Hong Sang So. I don't think he has any uh, in the, the collection. The day he arrives. Oh my god! Uh, uh, day he arrives is probably my dream release. I love that movie. I'm not sure if you've ever mm. spoken about uh, him on the on your channel. Mm. You have not. Have you seen? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you have. Yeah, I'm actually going through uh, privately, I suppose, uh, South Korean cinema because up until recently, South Korean cinema has been a big gap in my in my. Uh, film journey um i i was i was very into south korean cinema up to a point and then uh for a number of reasons i i couldn't keep up with it because of, of, i was moving and, and things of that nature but then now very recently especially since the youtube channel has, has started up i've been trying to uh catch up with the later the more recent uh examples from south korean cinema so it's been yes yes uh, i haven't spoken about it directly but i'll try to one day yes so I, I have a, another question, but I'm going to save it because I think it is tangentially related to A Brighter Summer Day. So we'll put a pin in, in that. And I, I suppose it, now is the time that we can move on to our preliminary thoughts on A Brighter Summer Day, which is our BFI Sight and Sound uh, 100 Greatest Movies of All Time list uh, pick for this week. It is a film by the Taiwanese director, Edward Yang, from 1991. It is nearly four hours long. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even, I don't really know where to begin with it. So I'm just going to say that my, my personal history uh, with the film is that I tried to watch it twice uh, without finishing it. The, the first time was... Um, probably the beginning years of my uh, college experience. And I wasn't as into long and slow movies as I am now. And he is very into it. Them. Very <laughs> into them. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't catch me on the right day. And I don't think I got past half an hour, nothing against the film with that though. Um, and then I tried again, maybe about a year ago and for circumstances out of my control, I couldn't brought away from uh, the film and I got through about an hour and I just never managed to return to it. So with that being said, I watched it a week ago and then I watched it again, again last night. So I, I wanted to be fully prepared for this discussion on, on the film. And I, I guess my question for Chandler, who this is essentially my first time speaking about this film, my first viewing of it. Uh, this is Chandler's first viewing. Um, yeah. So I guess... Daisuke has seen it a number of times. So Chandler, let's let's hear your general thoughts and then maybe oh, hear uh, from Daisuke. It's so much movie, I don't even know where to begin. And I don't mean that in terms of its length, because the length is obviously daunting, but I never felt it. It never felt like it was four hours long. Something like Lawrence of Arabia, which is almost a half hour shorter. I towards the end, I just thought, oh, when is this going to be over? But this I think the constant references to war and peace are very appropriate because this is probably the most novel-like movie I've ever seen. There's just so much going on. 
in the character and the settings specifically. I did a little bit of research ahead of time just because I wanted to get a, a, a little bit of a, um, a history of uh, Taiwan in this whole debacle because my Asian history is very rusty. Um, but yeah, I, I sat through the whole thing. It never mm. really felt long. And I'm still struggling to understand how I feel about it. I definitely like it. I just I don't even know where to begin with something this monumental. Cat's my favorite character. I'll say that mm. just right out the gate. I, I really enjoy Cat. And the, the, the restaurant scenes were some of my favorite. And again, this is coming from the guy. I literally just saw Yee Yee for the first time a month ago when it came up on this. And I've owned a brighter summer day in Criterion for a few months now, but I've just always been so intimidated by it. Not, not the, it's not the length that has anything to do with it. It's just, I don't know. People have such a strong attachment to this movie that I'm always waiting for the correct time, the correct headspace to jump into it because I don't want to do this movie a disservice. And I think I did, you know, I went in at the right time. But when I remember when I first was done with it, when it was over, because I watched it last Saturday. When it was over, I just thought I, I did, wasn't sure if I liked it because I at at the time I felt that the main character I wasn't really into him all that much but it's one of those movies that over the last few days i've just been thinking about non-stop to the point where i think i love it much like a good book so daisuke your 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 experience with the film and preliminary thoughts i know you've talked about it on your channel before but uh, a little rep repetition is needed here uh, and non-spoiler correct non-spoiler yes. for now sure. yes so far sure. so First of all, I'm very happy to hear your reactions to it. This is a film that I'm so, one of the things I'm so happy, uh, happiest about is hearing people's reactions to the film after having seen the film for the first time. And uh, it's, you know, even if someone says, oh, I didn't like it or it was okay or something, I still, I'm, I'm very happy to hear those comments as well because uh, at, at least Right, it's it's very daunting in terms of its length. You're absolutely right, and I think that's one of the main things that might be as a a kind of turnoff for a number of people. And and again, not unreasonably so. I think it's very reasonable to look at a film and and look at its running time and think, oh gosh, this is going to take a big chunk out of my day. Am I really? Is it really worth getting into? And that's a very uh, understandable position to have. Uh, so I'm always happy when I hear people uh, talk about the film and watch the film for the first time. Uh, and so thank you very much for sharing those, those great reactions. And I, as, as far as the film itself goes, the, I, I think you've mentioned it, you know, the running time I suggest goes by very quickly. It, it says it on the back, right. It says on the back, what is it? Four hours or so, but uh, it's I, four minutes shy of four hours. Uh, right. Right. Yep. So three hours and 56 minutes, which is still very, very long. The time goes by very quickly. And also for anyone who may be listening to this film now or listening to this podcast now and has not yet seen the film, uh, of course, it's, it's ideal to watch it in one sitting. Uh, and it's, as I say, it goes by very quickly. But if you have to watch it in separate sittings, maybe you know, in two sittings or three sittings or whatever, uh, even so, that's still worth it because uh, this film can, uh, can grab you. And uh, it can really uh, just 
take you to another place in time. You know, you were mentioning about how an understanding of Taiwan history is very important. I, I would say it's essential. It's absolutely essential in, in trying to get uh, one aspect or a number of aspects of this film in terms of the mise-en-scene, what happens in the foreground and the background. There are little details that uh, hint at or get, go into this idea of, of, uh, of one's relationship uh, you know, between uh, China and then uh, Taiwan. And so this relationship is not only essential in terms of the actual story, which is in the 1960s, but also metaphorically in terms of displacement, in terms of what our identity is individually and as a nation, and how that figures in very specifically to the character trajectories and arcs that we see and observe throughout this four-hour running time. So in other words, everything is tied together. The individual mm -hmm. story is tied into the national story, and that's tied into an almost spiritual story, and it's all interconnected. And it's done in such a way that a filmmaker like Edward Yang does so brilliantly and so precisely. We've seen it, you'll see it, of course, in the later film that he did, Yi Yi, with such precision and magnificence. But here, it's also on display uh, so astoundingly, and it's still a, a marvel and a sight to behold every time I see it. And so, uh, but you're right that there's so much going on, and it, it's very difficult, I think, to keep track of all the little uh, who is who and who is belonging to what and all this. And I understand that, but even with that, there is still a sense that one can get as to what what is generally going on. And of course, the more one understands and appreciates Taiwan cinema and history, I think it, it maybe is there is a, a certain ease of entry, shall we say. I'm not an expert in Taiwan history at all. I'm, I'm not at all an expert. I haven't studied it formally. But uh, I do appreciate the need for that kind of at least general, uh, general approach. And so with all that, this is to say that there is so much here. It can be confusing. It can be daunting. But also, it is a sort of transcendental experience to see the, the way in which characters evolve and move through time and space and interacting within and among each other, uh, sometimes leading to uh, interesting resolutions, sometimes leading to unexpected resolutions. But uh, it's all here. And ultimately, universally, it is a human drama. And even, as I suggested, a, an understanding of Taiwan history uh, it might, be, uh, uh, might be ideal one can still get into this film without necessarily having a, 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 a grasp on that particular uh, aspect of world history or, or, or history of, from this part of the world. And this is because this film does have so many elements that make it universal and human and understandable. How we re react to people, how we uh, try to understand other people's existences. What is it about us that makes us, try, what, that makes us able or unable to appreciate the, the experiences of the other and how that has ramifications going forward. It has so much here that can be understood, as I say, on a, on a uh, historical level, but also on a very emotional and human intuitive level, which is why I think it's very important. But uh, on top of that, it is a, a powerhouse of, a, of an emotionally uh, packed film. Yeah, I, my, my experience, I was almost worried that I wasn't going to like the movie um, because much like Chandler, I had, I had heard so much about it. I, it's on the, the top uh, 20 of the letterboxd and it's obviously it's on the BFI list. 
And it, as Chandler mentioned, I am someone who loves long movies, movies that take their time to develop multiple strands of storyline over a excessive but wonderfully excessive runtime. And I think, I, I guess my little, my selling point for this, for a brighter summer day while watching it is it is an experience unlike any other that you're, you're not going to get with any other film um, that you would normally watch that is a, a quote unquote normal length that I, while watching it, I became aware uh, both the first time and more so on the second time, I became aware of my own thoughts during the film mm-hmm. of kind of an ebb and flow as I was watching it of not when I became disengaged with the film, but when I started to at certain points kind of take a step back and think about it in a in my mind versus when I was more reacting to it on a, a, a purely visceral level. And I really have to say that I enjoyed the experience of when you're when you're watching let's say a movie like um, a big block a Marvel blockbuster or you're watching something like Parasite these are movies that grab you by the hand and take you through their narratives from beginning to end and you don't have much of a much time to to breathe throughout it necessarily um, to necessarily gather your thoughts and start ruminating on what the film is trying to get at and I think a film of this length, it it almost, on one level, it, it's just a character thing where you're two hours in and you've already spent so much time with these characters and you still have two more hours to go and you feel with them in a way that you you can't be in a shorter film. You, it feels the the artifice of of filmmaking of characters where if you have like a ninety minute uh, movie you you are forced to go through a very tight concise character arc that no scene has can be wasted everything must be propelling the film forward with a film like brighter summer day it lingers on moments that only later only 2 hours later become of significance and i often got chills while watching the film realizing um what was happening over the course of of the film and it's just struggling to really describe adequately convey the fact that this the experience of watching a four hour film like this and i don't think this this film i think maybe uh the film uh an elephant sitting still has a a similar kind of effect although I, i would say something like lawrence of arabia does not have a similar effect as this film that's a more kind of plot character uh those are the wrong words but well those other films are a lot more goal driven in the sense that every 30 45 minutes we get a a a pretty good idea of where it's going they introduce new conflicts or new characters that very clearly drive the story in a particular direction whereas this is just so free-flowing it jumps from character to place to uh location on seemingly a dime and it's i think the issue that i had when i initially watched it is i thought of it in in the sort of structure that you're explaining right now 
where I thought the main character whose name is I always forget uh Sir 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 Shao Sir. I thought of Shao Sir as the I thought that this was a movie about Shao Sir because he's the one who's first introduced with his father and him having to go to night school. And it wasn't until about two hours in that I realized Shao Sir is not the main character and this is not his story. But Shao Sir is sort of the the center of everything that's going on. And it's he's the sort of narrative device that we use to explore his father and his dealings with the corrupt uh, Taiwanese officials, uh, the different gangs and the sort of psyches that go behind the different gang leaders. Just the the entirety of this feeling of displacement is sort of explored through him and how the actions of the world around affect him. And I think it was right around that midpoint that that's where I started to realize where that was going. And I think now that if I saw it again, I would be able to appreciate it so much more knowing that it's not, like I said, it's very novel-like in its structure. It just jumps. And in any other movie, I said this with Yi Yi as well, in any other movie, just jumping between characters like that would feel so jarring and you'd feel misplaced, but he just really guides you really easily. And I think a huge part of that is just how consistently beautiful, but still the imagery is. You never feel like you are out of this world. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah uh, Daisuke mentioned that you need to have a, a particular knowledge of history of Taiwan to, to really appreciate the film. And I think that's, that's very much true. And I, I just want to summarize my, my non-spoilery thoughts with this, that as I was watching it, I I knew the history of Taiwan, but there there is a very brief title in the beginning that gives you the little setup of what what is going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that no one should be put off by not knowing history from this film. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to know it in order to enjoy it because there is so much mood and atmosphere and it puts you in that place. I learned through kind of osmosis things about Taiwanese history that I felt compelled to look up after the film and learn more about. And I, I, I can only just say that I, I fully emphatically recommend this, this movie to, to anyone who is willing to, if you're not willing, I suppose maybe not, but if you're willing to, to take that, that step into something that is, novelistic that is exploring a society not just one person because it is exploring Chaucer but it's a portrait of a society and it's wow I, I still am speechless but <laughs> uh, yeah comments on those thoughts Daisuke or we can move on to a more kind of spoilery thematic discussion I think those are great comments my friends those are really great yeah I mean, and also the the idea. I'll be very brief, but uh, um, this idea of how it's like jumping uh, and going from character to character or situation to situation, like a novel. I, I'm really taken with that in particular because it's this is sort of the thesis, the cinematic thesis, if you will, of Edward Yang's uh, cinema. As you know, in watching his other films, uh, his other films deal a lot with the tapestry of a, a number of characters. I, the word I use a lot when I describe his films is interconnectivity. And this is because the, the cinema of his works, in particular this film, shows a kind of way in which 
we are all connected or these characters are connected. And we don't realize these connections until, as you say, maybe an hour, two hours from from that initial scene, which is, I think, very revelatory. And it's a, a, a not just a poetic way of expression in cinema, but it's also a, uh, a it, it, there's a, a kind of of a hypothesis or thesis that is being posited by Edward Yang and company with respect to the human condition. I think so. It's a I'm very I'm very thrilled to hear your comments about that. It's it's uh, very insightful. Okay, so that's I, I suppose here's our little spoiler warning um, before we get into uh, some more specifics about the film. And he, here's my question. I I suppose for Daisuke and maybe for Chandler, and this can just, don't have to answer it immediately. It can be a, 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 a thought to, to put a pin in, but is, this is a film that is so very Taiwanese, that is seeped in the history, culture, society. It is Edward Yang's recreation of a very specific moment in time and a historical event. Is it possible for foreigners like us, or from anyone outside of that society, outside of Taiwan, um, and and perhaps uh, for Daisuke and, and Japan in general and Japanese film, is it possible for someone from an outsider's perspective to to truly get everything there is maybe to a film? And I don't think you can ever really get everything about a film, but is there something about, let's say, Brighter Summer Day that is maybe ungraspable because we are disconnected from the time and place to a certain degree. I I I I don't know. Obviously, there are very certain plot elements that are very much rooted in this Taiwanese history, but I think there's a lot in this film that is a lot uh, very universal. Um, I think there that sort of feeling of uh, loss of identity is not only in the the people of Taiwan, but I feel like it's a sort of loss of identity that people feel at that age in general. So I think that Taiwanese history aside, this does work as a coming of age story, albeit an epic and thorough one. Um, but I I think that the the historical aspects of it can really only heighten the experience over time, because I think going in with just as little as you know from the opening text you can get a good amount of the feelings that this entire country is feeling. I, I think one of the particular scene I always think of uh, in regards to this is when they're having dinner and the mother comments, we were at war with the Japanese for eight years and now we're living in a Japanese house, listening to Japanese music. I think that feeling while we can't necessarily relate to it on a specific level, I, f that feeling of, of a loss of identity is pretty universal. Um, but I don't think I, I think he, he does a, a, a fantastic job at going in relatively blind. That's a very good that's a very good point. I, I, and I, I think I would add. In con in the context of, let's say we're talking about a brighter summer day, there are some aspects, for instance, about dialect and language usage that are very significant, but that cannot be caught by someone, for instance, like me, who doesn't speak that language. And this is very important, too, because uh, this is spoilers, right? Yes. Okay. Spoilers. So uh, as, as you may know, 
right? The, 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 the language of Chinese, the Chinese language that's being used has different dialects depending on the region or the area. And this is also true in Taiwan. And so what Edward Yang does so brilliantly and yet in such a way that I, it's very difficult for me to, to identify because as I say, I don't speak the language. And so I have to rely on uh, commentary tracks and supplemental features to show me the way is that sometimes you'll have characters that have different dialects that rep that that are, are from different regions, let's say from the regional part of Taiwan versus the mainland China. And even within Taiwan itself, north and south is often uh, referred to a lot. And this is very significant because this is sh this is getting at the very root of of a sort of a, a very nuanced Taiwan identity. And what this is going at is that we have sort of the, 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 the local uh, regions. And then we have the Chinese uh, that came in from the mainland uh, around the time of uh, 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 Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang uh, from 1949, you know, as a way to, as a, of, you know, in terms of the break with the communist regime in the mainland China. And that therefore became Taiwan or the Republic of China, as it was officially referred to, uh, officially speaking, right? And then so, but in that, in that context, therefore, which is captured brilliantly in this film, we have all these different uh, uh, tensions that are arising. We have the local Taiwanese uh, uh, group or, or population or people. And then we have the, the people coming in from mainland China to Taiwan. And then we have the idea of people who are still in the mainland China. And then on top of that, we have relationships that are uh, resonant about the past. As you indicate, there are many uh, aspects of Japanese culture that are in Taiwan right now. And I have a Taiwanese friend, and we've spoken about this film a lot, and he, he has relatives uh, who remember this, you know, and how there was actually a, a really... Uh, a, a very big influential sort of Japanese cultural influence uh, in terms of architecture and, and in terms of, you know, the Japanese uh, people that were there uh, up to the end of the war, uh, but before that as well. And so, uh, and, it, you know, there is a very uh, interesting uh, cultural sort of, of, of uh, I don't want to say relationship necessarily, but uh, th there is an interesting uh, way in which that Japanese kind of those aspects of Japanese, shall we say, stuff resonate in an interesting way in the context of Taiwanese uh, uh, character and uh, that history. It's not necessarily an antagonistic one, although I, I know that there are elements there as well. I, I, I know this, but uh, at least based anecdotally from my my friend. It is, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And so uh, I want to suggest that there is just so much going on here in terms of who is from the mainland now in Taiwan, who is left behind in the mainland, who has actually been in Taiwan uh, versus coming out from the mainland here. And there, therefore, you get all these tensions between the characters, right? You have the uncle and then the parents. There's a little bit of tension there, right? And because the implication is that he's been here uh, whereas the the parents uh, and Shao Sir and his family have been, have come from the mainland, we have this tension also about who's left behind, who is still here, and what does that lead to in terms of the father and his uh, suspected 
links with communist China, mm. right? And th- and that leads to a whole thing in the middle of the film about him and the the uh, the pressures that are uh, imposed upon him psychologically in terms of torture, essentially, and uh, how that has an impact not just on on sort of national uh, a statement on national identity, but also on him and as a character and how that has ripple effects. Uh, as as far as him and his wife and his family and in particular Shao Sir, so this is all to say that that uh, this is all so sort of stuffed into integrated fundamentally into the film and and uh, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's a very fundamental aspect. But as you said earlier, you can still enjoy this film without necessarily appreciating that appreciating that stuff. So uh, this is all my way of saying that there are still lots of things about this film that I don't get and I will never be able to get. Uh, in particular, how language is used. To add on to that, I think I read somewhere, I don't remember, that the the mother and the father speak a, a Shanghaiese, mm. Shanghaiese di- dialect when they don't want to be understood by their kids, which, you know, unless I, I didn't, Oof. if I didn't read that, I'd never know. Yeah. So it's it's not necessarily that, you know, a foreigner would never get it, but that it, it takes digging into real kind of passionate digging into a film if you want to to really understand it if it's coming from a, a different place than you're you're used to. And I I was reading the director's notes in the Criterion uh uh edition of Brighter Summer Day. And Edward Yang says something very, very interesting that I, I absolutely love and that um he talks about how um that it's horrifying and I quote it is horrifying to think that man might have to depend on his own species for the truth for hundreds of years. Luckily, there are enough clues left by the great minds of the past in their art, architecture, their music, their literature, to help the future generations to somewhat reconstruct the truth and restore our faith in humanity. Films must serve this same purpose for our future generations. And I think it's it's thinking about A Brighter Summer Day in, in the respect that that's those are Edward Yang's thoughts, and I very much almost see the film as his kind of testament to this moment and history in time, and is almost an uh, an educational material, although we don't often think of fictional film as being such um, for future generations, and not necessarily uh, an educational material at trying to get at any kind of accurate historical truth but at a kind of general feeling the the facts of eliciting curiosity from future generations about the past. And this film very much um, elicited those questions about Taiwan from me. Um, and I very much saw a lot of the, the actions in the film as um, maybe not direct allegory, but some kind of uh, metaphorical meaning to kind of the greater uh, China and Taiwan relationship, um, and I might get into that later. But I'll, I'll let someone. Well, I just also thought something. it was interesting that it's not—it's not only a a film that's based in this really real history, but it also ties into a real murder case, which I had no idea that this was based on a true event until afterwards. And I kind of wish that I knew a little bit more about that, but at the same time, that would kind of ruin the impact of that um, that final uh, uh, act. But it's just it's it's just crazy to me how he manages to incorporate all of these different historical aspects together and it's never it's it never pulls its focus into one direction 
um, as, as far as the specifics go. Um, and yeah, one other detail I didn't know that was um, that the Tai uh, Taiwan, the Taiwanese military, um, you know, when we see uh, uh, Shur and um, uh, who's the, the woman's name, the little girl's name. I always forget her name. Too. Ming. Ming. Yes. When we see Shur and Ming, you know, uh, on the field together and you can see mm-hmm. all the soldiers practicing the background. It wasn't until I was doing my research today that I learned that the Taiwanese government, um, their military, they were attempting or planning on a, a staging a sort of war to take back China. And I just think it's interesting because at, at a certain point, the, the Chinese government and the econ- economic power of it just became so big that they just sort of had to give up on that. Um, but it's it's the same thing I, I felt with Yi Yi that there is always another completely different story, a completely different movie just happening in the background. And I'm just blown away consistently throughout this movie how is this is never just characters it's not a character movie but how they fit into this larger world this larger narrative the backgrounds of these shots there is always movement there is always life even in the schools when it's just two characters talking in a hallway you have somebody in the background you know at the at the book stand or whatever you have people on their way to class you have faculty going through the hallways and it's just i think that's what really sells this feeling of being part of this world and I just wish I watched this a little bit earlier because I you just have to sit with this. And like you said, Dice Gates, it's a movie that I don't think you'll ever really be able to fully understand. Not in the same way as something like Mulholland Drive or Twin Peaks, where there's just little tiny micro scenes that I don't understand. But just how all of these characters and events and play into these themes that is also laid out in the history. It's just so dense and so interconnected so flawlessly that I don't think I'll ever be able to fully understand it, but I think that's why I love it. Also beautiful, just beautiful to look at. I was watching some of the restoration uh, uh, footage that they did um, where they essentially had to restore it from old VHS slash laser disc rips. And uh, God, the people who restore these just do wonderful work that in the Apu trilogy, I think they did a fantastic job on. Um, I, I do want to say also, uh, just to uh, piggyback off of what Chandler was saying about the background and images, you're absolutely right. There's so much movement going on. And to talk just about your comment about the military, even in the background of some of these shots, for instance, between Shao Sir um, uh, and his father as they're walking, you can see military in the back. You can hear the tanks t- yes. always going through the tanks. Yeah, exactly. And that just is another indication of it's not it's 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 background information, but it's also information that is linked into all this historical, the, the historical moment, as you say. And it's a very precise historical moment. Um, and it's not all military stuff. Don't get me wrong. But that's mm. an example of how uh, how uh, uh, how how should I put it? How uh, uh, baked in. Uh, these elements are to a very fundamental level in this film. So that's a very good observation. Yeah, it's just, God. I, it, it's, for me, I kind of was reading it as, um, when I said a, a, almost a metaphor for Taiwan, it, it's that the, the Taiwanese people having fled the, the mainland, um, and the Chinese people really, having fled the mainland and moved to Taiwan, have become kind of untethered from their roots. And authoritarianism essentially was ruling the island, fear of communism. 
Um, and there was a, a lack of tradition, a lack of uh, a central culture that they could probably call their own, that they have been disconnected from their homeland. They're listening to, like, as we said, Japanese music. Mm -hmm. They're watching a John Wayne movie. They're, they're singing American songs without, I never got the sense that they even knew what the songs were about or could. Well, they barely they had the lyrics English. I love those scenes. Right. Yeah. Translated. Right. And it's, it's a, a portrait of a nation and a society that is very restless, that is trying to find its own identity. That's trying to fit a new mold that it's been put in, that they've been transplanted from one place to another. And it, it's, kind of like Chaucer in that he's trying to find his own identity being surrounded by all these other elements that aren't him the the gangs he's not a part of the gangs but there's a pull a pull towards that kind of violent uh anti-authority uh behavior there's um the the music and everything there's you know, the film is about a society trying to find its place, trying to to figure out what it is. And it's also about a character, Chaucer, trying to figure out who he is. And I think it I might be reading too deeply into it. But, you know, at, at the end, um, Chaucer is uh, trying to save Ming and almost like how Taiwan is trying to go back and save the mainland. But in, in real life, you know, they accepted reality eventually, that that cold reality they had to, mm -hmm. to, to live with. And Chaucer was unable to, to live with that and acted out against that. And it's little, little layers. It's just like you could find all these different readings. I was making so many notes and I could honestly <laughs> talk forever about it. So I don't want to we, we have Daisuke here. So I want to hear just a little more from him before we. We have to go. Uh, well, speaking of Chaucer, he's a very important character, as you suggest. Uh, we see his struggle even early on. We see his uh, proclivities towards, at least potentially anyway, acts of violence uh, even early on. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we know what he does at the end of the film very, very tragically and horribly. He commits a terrible, terrible, terrible act, of course. Um, and uh, we see the, the, the way in which it affects both him and the people around him. But we also see glimpses of that early on. I don't know if you recall, it was, uh, he sees, what is it, the uncle? And uh, there's a little bit of antagonism between the families. Uh, a little bit of jealousy, perhaps, uh, is implied because of the, the uh, right, in terms of uh, the children and their daughters and getting into school, etc. Uh, but also there's a little bit of antagonism in terms of who's, who's coming in from the main, who's been here longer and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think it's the uncle who's been a little bit antagonistic. And there's a moment where he's having, I think, a heart attack. Uh, or no, no, no I, I take that back. He's drunk. And um, uh, we see a moment where Chaucer takes us, we see him grab a stone. And he's about, yep. and he, no one's around. Yeah. And, and we see the implication is he's thinking about actually assaulting his this person but then uh the, he's there there's a, a sickness and so uh that that little uh, uh, terrible temptation is averted of course and uh, we also see his reaction towards vi in towards 
the acts of violence and the results of violence in the aftermath of the of the gangland violence, uh, right? The the Little Park Gang and the two one sevens and other uh, ancillary groups as well. But those are the that those are the two main groups that are at at play here in this particular film. And there's the antagonism between those groups that culminates in a very terrible bloodbath uh, around the middle of the film, as you know. And we see his reactions to this kind of terror. But there are also a, a number of elements of his character that I think are, are important to keep in mind. For instance, remember, there's an issue about his eyesight. Uh, mm. he, right? He, he, there's a thing about maybe maybe something to do with the fact that his eyesight is not has not been properly uh uh, uh, properly addressed, shall we say? Maybe that has something to do with how he is performing academically. Maybe that has something oh, to do with. I didn't think about that. I, I mean, it's, there's nothing very clear about that, but yeah, uh, there, yeah, there yeah. is something about his eyesight uh, and how um, uh, he he's seeing or has trouble seeing or he focuses on certain things. The the idea about the light opening the beginning of the film, the 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 the, the little light bulb. This mm -hmm. is a very clear uh, a metaphor for the idea of seeing and sight and the inability to see. And I think this is also very important with his character, not just in terms of this little character trait, but also in terms of how he, the character, sees or is unable to see the characters around him and how he tends to uh, maybe glorify or romanticize certain aspects of the people around him that it might ultimately be unjustified and also quite disappointing. Uh, this is very clear in terms of, for example, how he looks at people like Honey, the character of Honey. This is also very clear in how he perceives characters like Jade, the other very important uh, uh, a character in the film. There's Ming and then there's Jade, but how he perceives Jade and what we realize is that his perceptions about her character are not really what she is about. This is also true, of course, in how he perceives Ming, which is perhaps one of the central relationships of the film. And it's this sort of failure or inability to see what it is she sees herself to be is a kind of precursor or a, a catalyst for the ultimate doom and tragedy that will, uh, uh, that will lead to the climax of this film. So... This character of Shao Sir is very in, interesting in terms of his ability to see and not see, and I think that's uh, it, that that is uh, shown throughout the film, not in not just in terms of cinematic um, uh, cinematic symbolism, but also in terms of the character and how he perceives uh, the reality around him. There's uh, there's a lot there, and I it, it's one of the I go often go on my my letterboxed and I, I and lists online, and I'm and I'm trying to figure out like when is the next time i'm going to watch something that's truly great that i'm going to love that um this is kind of my summarizing thought here but that i i i watch a movie and I, I you know i say to myself how many more masterpieces are there left for me to watch that i will truly connect with and i think that it, i'm always surprised i don't know why i would i would be because there's so many more movies to watch but I'm surprised when I watch something like A Brighter Summer Day that I, I I have pages of notes and could go on for a very long time. And it's it, I light and and uh, as you were talking about the metaphor of light and how um, 
Shouser smashes the light bulb and then gives up the torch at the end, giving up the these light sources. And there's just a lot of little metaphors, a little the way that uh, Edward Yang very deliberately moves his camera in the film. There's not a lot of movement, but when he does, it's it's very purposeful and frames the action in just the way it needs to be. And it's visually just marvelous. And I that's that's just all I have to say about the film for now. I I, I got nothing, man. I, I think even what I said didn't even scratch the surface. And it's been a while since I've had a movie that just left me. I don't want to say speechless, but just unsure, unsure. I was worried because when I first saw it, I thought I didn't like it. I thought I was just it was it. I thought it wasn't clear. But now in retrospect, I think it just it was as clear as it needed to be. And I have to fill in the gaps later. And uh, I think I was just expecting something a little more streamlined like Yee Yee. But in retrospect, I think I like this more because it's not as streamlined, I guess. And also, if if I could add this is a discussion in the context of the BFI sight and sound list, right? From 2012. Mm-hmm. Yes, I almost forgot. <laughs> and this is, I, what is it? I, I, it's in the, is it the seventies or so, or I think it's in the, well, to, we, we what? use the combination because that we, they post a director's list and a critics list. Okay. So we match them together. So we got all of the movies. I'm not entirely sure, but it's somewhere in the Some fudging of the numbers, but yes, it is. It's in the lower end of the list, but. So it's be somewhere between uh, fifty and a hundred, something like that. Right? Oh no, not even that. It's it's. Oh no, yeah, it's it probably is, around you know, the seventies. Okay, it's 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 in like the seventies to eighties, but yeah. Okay, okay. So I'm I'm I think I'm just I don't have the critics list in front of 84. me. Thank you, thank you, sir. Eighty four. So on the critics list, right? Okay. Yes, yes. So so this is very significant, right? Because this list was published in two thousand and twelve. This film was of course first released in 1991 but it was never it was never really given a a restored showing i think until 2010 2011 something like that i think it's 2011 and it um and this blu-ray from criterion was released i want to say 2016 mm-hmm. um uh, i apologize if my dates aren't wrong but the that my point that i'm trying to make is that it's a really amazing just how how in in terms of because when the list came out, I still remember that film was very difficult to be able to watch in a kind of good quality. And uh, and then, of course, after the list was released in 2012, then we get this now great, glorious Blu-ray from Criterion. And so uh, more people now hopefully are being able to see it and appreciate it and enjoy it. And so it's very interesting to see, first of all, just how well the film did at that 2012 point, uh, considering all the circumstances and considering uh, how, relatively speaking, little time the world really had with the film up to that point, 2012. And then now there's more time that people have with the film. And so it's now, I, I think, with great anticipation, just how this film will fare at the next BFI uh, 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 critics poll, which I think is going to be what? 2022 yeah in about two years from now every 10 years then we can restart the podcast (laughs) start from the beginning it's i i think honestly for both brighter summer day and yee yee i think they will only go up in those polls probably Um, yeah i for me i think i like yee yee a little bit more 
mostly because I find it more relatable on, on all the character level. Um, but I, I think A Brighter Summer Day might be the film that I respect more, that I think is a more monumental achievement. Yeah. And I, if I were to uh, be so bold as to go in and start editing the BFI website, I might move it up a little, <laughs> little higher than where it is now. Well, yeah, I, 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 uh, I have said multiple times in the podcast that I'm a firm believer of one film per director. So if I had to choose between the two, I think I'd actually go Brighter Summer Day. Yeah. Just because I think it's a lot more emblematic of his style and I think it's a lot more challenging and unique. Um, and I think there's a lot more potential for meaning, but I guess that's relative anyways. That's objective. But yeah, I'm going to say it deserves to be on here. There. There you go. That's how we usually end it is whether or not you think it should be on the list. Which I think it was three yeses there. Yeah, okay. there we go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Highly recommend. Well, Daisuke, it was uh, an honor to have you on here uh, for this episode. I, I wish we could have talked for ages about this movie, but I think we had, we got some good mm-hmm. uh, unique thoughts about the mm-hmm. film out of this conversation. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. It was a real honor. You know, I, I, uh, I don't get invited to, to many podcasts. I get invited to few, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, not that many. And so when I, when I get the invitation, I'm always very thrilled. So thank you very much. It really, really, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a real honor. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Well, uh, next episode, we're going to be doing, uh, Salo or the 120 days of Sodom. (laughs) That's a big one. Neither of us have seen it. I have to buy it. Okay. Who is our who's our special guest? Uh, his name is also Chandler. Interesting enough, uh, he's a huge fan of both Dice Gaze and Brighter Summer Day, and okay. he was very excited to discuss this film. I said, "Nope, we have to go with Dice Gay. You know, he his schedule allowed it. And I think if it was anybody else, he would have been upset. But he replied to the very, very enthusiastic. He is probably more qualified than I am. So. Oh, very I'm very excited. sorry. Oh, uh, please extend him my my deepest apologies and thanks and gratitude. Oh, he and, he he is excited. Don't and worry. Uh, but but he, uh, he will be tackling a film that I I also am very I'm a I'm a I, I'd love to be able to talk about one day Salo. I think that is a very uh, interesting work to be able to talk about, and uh, it it has a lot there. There is a lot there. So, there is a lot there. Uh, yeah, I agree. So I, I look forward to your discussion about that very much. Very fun. Well, thank you uh, very much again. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, and cheers. Talk to you soon.